Welcome to Ablaze Ministries International Podcast. We are the youth and young adults of Hope Church Brisbane. For more information about our ministries, weekly gatherings and activities, please visit our website at www.ablaze.org.au. And right now, get ready for an inspiring message and start living out your God-given potential today. And indeed, Friday night is the best night. It's my favorite part of the week because it's like, oh, not yet. (laughs) You know, the whole time I was looking at this picture, I was like, that's Taylor Swift. It looks like Taylor Swift. Oh, okay, no. Uh, (laughs) How are you guys doing? It's good to see all your smiley faces. Everyone's looking really good. (laughs) Sorry, you don't have to put that one on yet. Thank you. But, um... My name is Lisa, for those of you guys who don't know me, and um, I hope to meet you guys after the service, um, and you know, feel free to hang out after the service and um, just chit-chat with people and get to know one another. We'd love to you know, get to know you, so if it's your first time in church, welcome. If it's your second time in church, welcome back. If it's like your 52nd time, welcome back again. It's really awesome. You know, um, If you don't know where you've walked into, if your friends like bribed you and you've come in here and you have no idea where you've ended up, this is a belay service. We're the youth and young adult service of Hope Church Brisbane. And um, you know, this um, is the best service because we are young and, um, and pretty awesome. So you can probably like feel the awesomeness level as you walked in here. Um, if you don't, then you can get to know the people in this place because they're pretty awesome. Um, so this is like a family and, um, you know, we, we love church, we love God and, you know, this up here is our, um, what we live for. It's discipling generations who change nations. You know, we really believe God that, you know, we're not here just to kind of do church week in, week out and just go home and, you know, come for a little kumbaya session and then go home. Um, but we're here to really, you know, listen to the Word of God and let the Word of God transform and change our lives. And we've seen that throughout the years. I've been a part of a blaze for 16 years and, you know, I'm still not sick of it because I kind of get hooked on seeing people's life change for God. And, um, so I'm married to the pastor of the service, lucky him, lucky me, <laughs> um, and you know, tonight I'm going to bring you a message um, on jealousy, and tonight is the eighth message in the, ser- uh, in the series, and next week um, Caleb's going to bring an awesome message on overcoming procrastination, yeah, so Caleb's going to like, he's going to hit the ball out of the park, get it? Yeah, yeah, it's sinking in. Some people, you're going to like walk out of the church and you'll be like, oh my gosh, that was so funny. Okay, you know, Caleb's last name is Park, if you don't know, yeah. So um, it's going to be awesome next week, so make sure you come, make sure you bring your friends, or your friends who leave study to the last minute, bring them to church, all right, Um, because they're going to want to hear that message. So tonight I'm going to preach on a a topic that I believe is relevant to everybody, and I'm sure as you watch that multimedia, you would have been like, yeah, I can relate. How many people can relate to that? Oh, there's like 10 honest people in the room. Like, I think we should do it the other way. How many people cannot relate to that whatsoever? Wow, you're perfect. <laughs> I thought you were. Um, I'm pretty sure we can all relate to that. I've got a few more examples you would have seen the Taylor Swift look like. All right, so the look of jealousy. Okay, so these are examples of people being jealous. That's so typical Hollywood. Um, Next. You know, jealous that your friend is married. 
Uh, <laughs> I'm sure we've all experienced something like that maybe, you know, jealousy that your parents or your mom or dad give. <laughs> I was trying to find a, a guy jealous. It's hard to find guys jealous looks. So this is like the only one I could find. Yeah, pretty good, right? It, I think it's the Korean guy, so <laughs> no offense to Korean people. So, uh, and it's even in shows. You know what? Jealousy, I've thought about this. It's in every single show that I think I have watched, even kids' shows. So let's have a look at a couple of examples. Um, this is not a kids' show, but it's, it's definitely an element in the High School Musical. Um, I actually haven't seen it. I just Googled High School Musical Jealousy, and it came up with a scene. So <laughs> High School Musical, uh, next one. Now, jealousy is an element through all of these and I know some of the girls would know all of their names. Um, and yeah, so, you know, jealousy is definitely an element. You know, Ariel was jealous that she didn't have legs. Um, Bella was, Bella's, Belle, soz. It's a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, anyway, let's move on to the next one. Yeah. So, so confession time. I, on my holidays last August, I actually bought the whole trilogy of the Hunger Games and I, I read it in five days because I wanted to find out if, if Katniss got together with Peter or Gail. Do you want me to tell you? No, I won't do it to you. <laughs> no, 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 I won't spoil it for you. But um, yeah, it's, it, I'm not that shallow. It's, I know like cheap teenage fiction, but it actually, I didn't really read it for that purpose, maybe. But <laughs> I, um, this is actually, anyway, I'm not recommending this book, but I read it because I really, really like the plot and everything. And yeah, it's all about hope and redemption. And you know, that's, yeah. Anyway, um, and you know what? I've actually figured out, okay, maybe I didn't figure out, I'm not that sad, but Google helped me figure out like the pattern for every love story that you've ever watched. And it, if you guys know me, you would know that I actually really, really despise love stories. Everyone's like, we should watch The Notebook or we should watch this. And I'm just like, it's so predictable because I figured out this, um, this formula. Have a look at this. So you've got four characters, right? You've got, oh, okay, yeah, of course, Korean drama who, yeah, forgot about the Korean drama. Oh, I'm not judging anybody who watches Korean drama. So this is probably very typical of Korean drama plot. So you have four characters. You have the main girl, who is A, whenever it comes up. It's crashed. Okay, I'll just read it to you. All right, basically, there are four characters usually, and the rest are just kind of like fillers in the show. So you've got girl A, who's the popular girl, boy, um, he's B, he's the jock, and you've got the supporting actress, who's C, and that's the one that usually no one likes in the show. And then you've got the supporting actor, Boy, who is D, a nice guy that no one notices until the end. So here's the plot. Guarantee you, you can test this. Oh, yeah. All right, so A to Z, because American, Bollywood, Chinese, all the way to Zulu, I'm sure they use this same formula. Right, so the plot is, check this out. So two slides on. Yep. Okay, B likes A, C likes B, D likes A. Okay, it should go slower. A knows B and D like her. 
but she can't decide who she likes. A starts to like D, B gets jealous, A drops her books at school, B helps her, so A starts to like B. D saw it happen, he gets jealous. D and B have a confrontation. You stay away from her. C gets jealous, but, but knows no one likes her anyway. C gets so depression, moves out of town. A ends up with B, what about D? Maybe it's a sequel. Yeah, I reckon every movie, okay, just about every movie I've watched, and then they try and put like creative spins on it and stuff like that. I'm sorry, I'm downplaying love stories. So all of you guys who love love stories, you're like hating me right now because it really, yeah, it makes me a bit ill. Um, but no judging you guys if you love love stories. Okay, you know what? It's easy to watch jealousy play out on screen. It's really easy to go, yeah, I can identify with that. And, you know, oh, she killed him because she was so jealous. You know, or he, like, did that to her because he was really jealous. And it's really easy to watch it play out or watch it in a, you know, read it in a book or something like that. And then you can really identify with the character. And you find that you start to side people. Like, during Hunger Games, I was starting to really side with Peter. I was like, no, I hope she goes for him, you know, because, yeah, stuff like that. You know, we do that. We take sides um, and things like that. So here's the thing. Here's what we kind of get jealous about, all right? Here's a list of stuff. So we get jealous about someone else's life, status, body, ministry, voice, talent, anointing, abilities, wardrobe, parents, Christian family. I wish I came from a Christian family. Non-Christian family. I wish I didn't come from a Christian family. Um, someone else's age. wish I was younger. Oh, gee, I wish I was older so I can get into places. Or someone else's family, someone's friends, boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, car, bank account, brains, popularity, followers on Instagram. I wish I got that many likes. Straight hair, short hair, curly hair, long hair. I wish my hair was like hers. Gee, I wish I could dance like Adrian. <laughs> Someone else's face, nose, lips, eyes, muscles. I wish I had, you know, I was a tank like him. Not me, but, you know. Um, pale skin, tan skin. Oh, I wish my, my skin was lighter. Or school results, parental love, attention. Attention in general. Um, and likes on Facebook. I mean, I know this, this list is like a bit of a stretch, yeah? But pretty much you can see that no matter what the case is, you know, and I don't know whether you're the jealous type. I actually Googled, you know, um, how likely people are to be jealous. And I think like 60% of the population consider themselves the jealous type. About 20%, oh no, not 20%, it was like 15% actually said, oh, no, I'm not the jealous type. But I kind of think that they might be lying. Because um, I really think that everybody gets jealous of something, somewhere, somehow, and we may not show it. Um, but, you know, that's a bit of a list of stuff that we get jealous about, and maybe what you struggle with isn't on the list. Um, but, you know, the thing is, the grass is always greener on the other side. Um, it seems like that. You know, we always can pick something that someone else can do better, or someone has a better family, and things like that. Can I get a witness? Can you guys relate to this? Okay. Um, you know, and th the thing is with jealousy and all this sort of stuff and running after all these things is that we can never really quite get satisfied. Have you noticed that? It's like you kind of like, oh, I want the iPad. Um, what is it? Like the mini air now or something. And then you get that and then someone else gets something better and you want that and you just keep chasing all these things. Now, let's get to know jealousy a little bit better. All right. Jealousy is, um, let's have a look at his, um, what jealousy is and also his family background. Jealousy is the feeling of resentment towards someone because of that person's superior quality, achievement, or possession. Now, jealousy is bad, okay? But he's not really that bad when you meet his older brother, Envy. 
which is the feeling of longing to have another person's superior quality. So envy actually takes it that little bit further. It's instead of just going, oh, I'm really jealous of like what she's wearing, it actually goes, I, I'm going to have what she's wearing. I want her life, you know. Um, and then envy also has a twin brother, and he lurks in the dark. He doesn't really come out until it's really needed, and his name is Covet. And Covet is a very strong desire for what belongs to another person. Last week, we saw King David coveted Bathsheba. She was married but he wanted her. He was like, I must have her now. And then he slept with her and then he felt so guilty because she, she was pregnant that he had her husband killed. And her husband was like, just about like his best friend, the one who protected him. So that's what covet does. It consumes you to the point where you, you, you do whatever necessary. Now, that's not just it. You know, what you're looking at is jealousy's entire family, really. Okay. So there are his older sisters, accusation, gossip, slander, malice, rivalry, his teenage sisters, lust, depression, low self-esteem, his little brother, addiction, his cousin, selfishness, bitterness, spite, hate, anger, rage, and his mafia auntie and uncle, murder and adultery. Pretty cool. Actually not, but yeah, pretty big family, all right? And there's probably a lot more of like people things that are related to jealousy, all right? So it kind of just comes in this one big family. Now, let's have a little look at where these things come from. These things, firstly, are from our sinful nature. The Bible is really clear that part of our sinful nature, as in the moment we were born, have you noticed how little kids get really jealous? It's not like the mom goes, now, if he has a bigger toy than you, you feel jealous, okay? Jealousy, (laughs) you know, like, she doesn't teach him jealousy. He just feels it. So it's a part of our nature. The Bible is also really clear about the consequences of jealousy. So let's have a look at a couple of scriptures. 1 Corinthians 3 verse 3. It says, you were jealous of one another and quarrel, quarrel with each other. Doesn't that prove you are controlled by your sinful nature? Aren't you living like the people of the world? In Romans 1, 28 to 32. It says, since they didn't bother to acknowledge God, God quit bothering them and let them run loose. Then all hell broke loose, rampant evil, grabbing, grasping, vicious backstabbing. They made life hell on earth with their envy, wanton killing, bickering and cheating. Look at the mean-spirited, venomous, fork-tongued God bashers, bullies, swaggerers, insufferable windbags. They keep inventing new ways of wrecking lives. They ditch their parents when they get in the way. Oh, big message there for those of you guys who don't honor your parents. God takes that really seriously, okay? Stupid, slimy, cruel, cold-blooded. It's, and it's not as if they didn't know better. That's the scary thing. He's actually talking about Christians. He's not talking about like some people in the valley, you know. Um, like he's talking about Christians. They know better. They know perfectly well they are spitting in God's face and they don't care. Worse, they hand out prizes to those who can do worst things first, best. Last scripture is Galatians 5, 19 to 21. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy. Gosh, the list is so long. Outbursts of um, anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and the other, other sins like that. Let me tell you, listen to this. Let me tell you, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, there's another source, and I'm going to unpack that a little bit more, because I know maybe some of you guys are listening to that, and you're like, come on, that's taking things a little bit too far. 
Jealousy is like normal, okay? It's like a reaction to something that I can't help. Isn't that a little bit too serious? Isn't God, I knew it, God is so judgmental, okay? But let's have a look a little bit at where else um, jealousy and his family comes from. Um, In James chapter 3, verse 14 to 15, But if you are bitterly jealous and there is selfish ambition in your heart, do not cover up the truth with boasting and lying. For jealousy and selfishness are not of God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. So it's suggesting that the source of jealousy is also, or jealousy in his family, is also demonic. There is a demonic influence. um, And I'm going to unpack that a little bit more later. Now, 1 Timothy 4.1, it says, Now the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last times, some will turn away from true faith. So Christians, again, those who believe in God and have been following God, they will turn away. Um, And they will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. John 8.44, you come from your father, the devil. He was talking to Pharisees, people who were like, oh, I'm so holy, and, you know, like, people who were like, oh, I'm all about the law of Moses and all that stuff, but they're just in their hearts. They were not soft in their hearts, and they were not repentant in their hearts. And this is Jesus talking to them. He was like, you come from your father, the devil. Whoa. Talk about being straightforward. And you desire what your father wants you to do. The devil was a murderer from the beginning. He was never truthful. He doesn't know what the truth is. Whenever he tells a lie, he's doing what comes naturally to him. He's a liar and the father of lies. Okay, now, am I making this whole jealousy thing a huge, a much bigger issue than it really is? What is the big deal? Why am I harping on about jealousy and all this stuff? I mean, really, it's just part of our human nature. Do we really, you know, deserve judgment? Um, You know, and you might be like, well, you know what? Like, it's not my fault, okay? Other people. It's like, because God made me this unattractive, this untalented, and if I was a little bit better, I wouldn't be that jealous. So it's unfair, you know? But the thing is, here's the thing about jealousy. Jealousy hardly ever appears alone. Whenever you get jealousy, you'll get a bit of a family kind of like coming along, all right? So you have a bit of low self-esteem, the little brother, and you might have a little bit of low... um, what you call self-depreciation, because what you do with jealousy is you pitch up someone else's qualities and you go, yeah, actually, my life sucks. That, That person's life is better. That person is so much more advanced or ahead of me. And you, you, you start to depreciate, okay, because you think the grass is greener on that side where that person is. Jealousy is a big deal because when you're jealous, He's not the only one who comes to the party. He brings his family along. This is why when you get jealous, you tend to be bitter at people or you tend to be angry. Can, you, can I get a witness? Yeah, you guys? Or can, um, maybe some of you guys can relate to that. Now, before I get on to talking about ways to deal with jealousy, this is something I really wanted to address this time. And I really hope right now, you, you know, if you're kind of starting to doze away or fade out and stuff, really wiggle in your seat and lean in because I want you to hear this. I'm going to talk about the spiritual battle of the mind, all right? Um, and, and, and then later on, I'm going to talk about how to deal with jealousy and his family. All right. You guys ready? Okay. If you've got your notebooks, I want you to bring out your notebooks and I want you to take notes because you know what? This is awesome stuff. And later on, or if I don't do it later on, um, throughout your life groups this weekend, um, we're going to be talking about a couple of books that I really want to recommend you guys to read. You know what? This area is the one area, the biggest area that undoes our generation. 
You know, the enemy, he's not going to come in front of you and go, booga, 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 and go, yeah, I'm going to scare you. Don't go to church, you know. Because if you see him in front of you, you're going to be like, you're the enemy. But I'm going to unpack what his strategy is to um, undo your life. All right. So we've already seen that um, these negative thoughts are from our flesh, jealousy and all that. But it, it can also be demonic in nature. Now, I don't want to get too caught up and give the enemy too much glory, okay? I don't want to be like, oh, I stubbed my toe. It must be the enemy wanting to get my life, you know? Or like, you know, you paper cut yourself and you're like, I knew it. It's a demon. Okay, let's not give him too much glory. I'm not saying we focus on the enemy, but at the same time, we're not going to be too ignorant. Most of us, I think, we're ignorant of the enemy's ways, all right? So it's kind of striking that balance in between. It's being aware but then not giving him too much attention, all right? So it's important to focus, um, so, sorry, to understand that we're in a spiritual battle. You know, God is wanting for us to change to be more like him. He wants us to draw closer and closer to the cross. He wants to draw us closer into his arms. He wants to change us to be more like him, you know? But then the other, the kingdom of darkness, um, the enemy of our souls, he wages war, okay? And you're wondering what this is. This is hell. <laughs> this is our depiction of hell. Um, and so who wants to go in there? Just kidding. <laughs> um, so this is our depiction. Uh, uh, this is you know, the, the kingdom of darkness. The enemy, the Bible says that the enemy of our soul, he wages for our soul. So the moment you stepped into a loving relationship with Jesus Christ, he's like, right, game on. My task is to get this person away from God. Bit by bit, inch by inch. Ooh, what was that? Okay. Okay, to overcome this, uh, this battle or to win the battle, we need to understand the battle plan. If someone gives you a game, like Fruit Ninja, and if you didn't know the game, if you didn't know the outcome of the game, if you didn't know what the purpose of the game was, you'd be like, oh, I'm just going to shake it, you know, lots of fruits, you know, whatever. Um, but, yeah, you need to know the purpose of the game. It's the same thing, except in this game, in our, the wage of our soul, it's for real, Okay. Um, and we are in a spiritual battle all the time. So as Christians, we need to understand this. Here are the two most common tactics that the enemy uses, I believe. Firstly, is he puffs up the self. He has a way of puffing us up in our heads and shrinking others and God. Um, he knows that he can, if he can get you to focus on yourself, if he can get you to focus on how jealous you are, how angry you are, if he can get you to focus on just how wrong that person is and how how indignant you feel and how lonely you feel because of them. He's got you exactly where he wants you. Have you ever noticed that whenever you're jealous or any of those families, it's just so consuming. It's like hard for you to see someone else's perspective and you always justify your own. Someone else can look at you. You can look at someone else and you'd be like, yeah, she's really jealous. She needs to get over it. But when we go through it, it's really hard to see, okay? So that's the enemy's tactic. He puffs you up in your mind and he shrinks God. God is it's not, non-existent. The second thing is that he attacks your mind. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 to 5, it says, We are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. Now, there's so much in the scripture um, 
so much that I can't unpack, but I want to ask you guys to really write the scripture down and remember it and read it over and over. There's so much in here. But what I want to point out is that basically this weapon that we, this, this war that we're fighting, it's not flesh and blood. So it's not the person who's causing you strife or the person who's making you feel lonely. That's not the enemy. He might have done something really wrong, but the real enemy is actually um, the devil. All right, so it's interesting that the Bible doesn't say God's going to give you weapons and you're going to like pull them out and nunchuck, you know, the enemy and like knock him over and stuff like that. But God says, that it says in the Bible that we use God's weapons to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning, which suggests that the way that the enemy attacks us is actually in our minds. It's in the reasoning. Don't you think... that he hates you because of the way he looked at you? Do you really think God's going to come through for you? Do you really think God's going to punish you? You're only looking at it once, just once. And he undoes, do you really believe what this preacher is saying right now? Are you sure she's preaching from the Bible and planting doubts in their heads right before you? I shouldn't do that. Okay, but that was the enemy's voice, all right? <laughs> um, and, you know, so this is what the Bible says, okay? So we're using God's weapons to tear down every stronghold. And I'm going to, if you're wondering what strongholds are, just hang on for a minute because we're going to actually show you what it looks like later on. Um, so, you know, what's a negative thought? You're like, oh, it's really obvious. But let me define it for you. It is a lie that the enemy plants in your mind to lead you to believe something other than the truth. And you know what the trick that the enemy uses is? He's going to be like, he's going to give you 99% truth, but a little bit of a lie. That's how he works. Because if he tells you something that is completely true, you're going to be like, I mean, completely false. You're going to be like, that's the lie, you know? But this is how he works. He works centimeter by centimeter, inch by inch, until he can inch you into his kingdom, away from God's. Now, if he can get you to listen to the, um, to the thoughts in your mind, if he can get you to listen to those lies, then he's got you as well where he wants you. Because the moment he has territory, now the word stronghold means fortress. It translates into the word castle. So how do you build a house? You build a house when you actually put one brick down, then a second brick down, then a third brick down. Yeah? I don't know, I've never seen anybody like plonk a house on like a ground, unless it's like a Queenslander. But brick house, it's like you put it one brick at a time. And that's exactly how the enemy works. One brick of a lie. Sweet. He believes it. You're lonely. No one loves you. Another brick. See, they all hate you, see? They ignored you. Then another brick. Then another brick. And before you know it, castle inside your head a castle full of lies and you know what this is why sometimes we're like yes god i will overcome in jesus name you come for the hype in church and you walk away and you're like i still feel the same it's because you still have this castle inside of you and you haven't dealt with it and this is why i want to reveal the battle plan um the strategy of the enemy okay so if he can get you to listen then he's got he can influence you. This is why, you know, okay, let me just say something from the outset. You know, a lot of people ask, can Christians, people who believe in God, given their hearts to God, can they be demon-possessed? No, because 
Because the Holy Spirit lives inside of you the moment you give your heart to Christ. The Spirit of God dwells on the inside of you. So the, the demon cannot possess you, but the demon can influence you exactly as the way I've just described. Because he'll just come in. I suck. I really can't. I, she didn't ask me how I was today. She really hates me. I think I'm going to stop coming to church. You know, like thought by thought. And that's how he works. It's so subtle. And um, the other thing that's really interesting is that he actually speaks in the first person. Um, so sometimes, this is why people are like, oh, I don't know whether it's my thoughts or the enemy's thoughts. Well, actually, if it's negative, you should just get rid of it. You know, don't, just don't entertain it. Um, and just think about God's thoughts. Okay, it doesn't really matter where it comes from. So now, I'm going to read a story, an excerpt from um, uh, a book called Battlefield of the Mind. And um, how many of you guys have read that book, Battlefield of the Mind? No one. Wow, maybe it's a book that some of you guys might need to read. You know, so many people, including me, I struggle with my thoughts sometimes as well, you know. I've been a Christian for 16 years, and I can I tell you, I don't wake up in the morning and sing hallelujah. Sometimes I just don't feel like singing hallelujah because I'm struggling with my thoughts. And there are times when Torch will be like, hey, you're negative, stop it. And he stopped me because he knows me well enough. And, you know, so I'm sharing with someone as someone not who is like high and mighty and like lives on the whole, you know, like top of Sunnybank, Holy Hills. But I am going through this as, as a sinner as well, okay? And um, I'm just going to read the story to you. So our warfare is not with other human beings, but with the devil and his demons. Our enemy, Satan, att attempts to defeat us with strategies and deceit through well-laid plans and deliberate deception. The devil is a liar. Jesus called him the father of lies. He lies to you and he lies to me. He tells us things about ourselves, about other people, and about circumstances that are just not true. However, he doesn't tell us the entire lie all at once. He begins by bombarding our mind with cleverly devised plan and a cleverly devised pattern. A little nagging thought, little suspicion, a little doubt, a little yearning, a little curiosity, a little wondering, a little reasoning. That, that does not make sense. He gives you theories. He gives you philosophies. And then he moves slowly and cautiously, slowly and cautiously. You see, a well-laid plan takes time. Remember, the devil has a strategy for his warfare. He's not careless. The devil has studied you and he studied me for a very long time. Let me say that again. The devil has studied you and he's studied me for a very long time. You know what? He doesn't know our future, but he knows our past. And this is perhaps why one of his tactics is to remind you of your past all the time. He knows what you don't like. He knows what you like. He knows what you looked at. He knows your insecurities. He knows your weaknesses. He knows your fears. He knows what makes you happy. 
He knows what gives you pleasure and he knows how to make that pleasure dirty. He knows what bothers you the most. He is willing to invest any amount of time it takes to defeat you. One of the devil's strong points is patience. You know, the Bible says that the enemy is like a roaring lion. He prowls around. He waits. He hovers. He's just like, just going to watch her. <laughs> I hope you guys don't get nightmares tonight. But, you know, <laughs> but he prowls around waiting for that opportunity. And, you know, like often it's depicted in cartoons like the devil sits on one shoulder and the, you know, the, um, the angel sits on the other shoulder. I mean, that's theologically not that accurate. But in many ways, it probably is. It depicts, it's kind of a reflection of the thought processes that we go through. Sometimes, you know, last week you saw a video of a man who was about to press that button, you know, should I watch this porn? And he was, that was a tug, you know. And I'm sure the enemy prowling around would be like, just do it. She's not home. Your wife's not home. She's not going to know. And just delete, delete the memory. Clear the history. Just do it. Okay? I just want to read you another. And this is um, from a book called The Screwtape Letters. And um, it's a brilliant book. And, you know, it's actually about... Um, so Screwtape Letters is written by C.S. Lewis. And it's a series of letters that Screwtape, the senior demon, wrote to his nephew Wormwood. So this is fiction, all right? But it's based on kind of biblical principles, some, some biblical principles. Wormwood is a junior demon. So Wormwood is like a trainee, training to tempt people, okay? Um, so his assignment is to keep a man in the father's house. And the father in this book, in, in Screwtape, is actually the demon because, you know, they serve... They serve the demon, okay? And, um, but one day they discovered that this man had become a Christian. So he had turned to the enemy. And the enemy, in this case, is God. Does that make sense? Are you guys following? Because this is actually written by a demon. All right. One day they discovered that this man had turned to God. So Screwtape the uncle tells Wormwood not to give up hope. Wormwood continues to try many tactics to draw the man away from God, the enemy. And I'm going to read you from letter 12. All right, this is the 12th letter that Screwtape, the uncle, wrote to Wormwood, and, uh, which is where so Screwtape tells Wormwood how to slowly but surely draw and tempt the man away from heaven. Wormwood is doing pretty well as a young tempter because the man is going through a low season. He's still going to church, which is better than him not going to church because if he stopped going to church, then he'd realize there was something wrong with his spiritual state. So Wormwood um, is told that, good, keep him in church. Keep him going to church. But he's not doing very well. Wormwood has been using some strategies on him. And this, I'm about to read, will give you some insights into how the devil manipulates us. He has one goal in mind, and that is to completely and utterly destroy us and take us to where he wants us, which is here, which is hell. And maybe this is a little bit confronting for some of you guys, but this is reality. This is a reality of our spiritual lives. All right, he wants to take us down the path of destruction. John 10.10, 10, it says, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Now, here's an excerpt from the letter. So, Screwtape writes, 
You will say that these are very small sins that Wormwood, you're getting him to do, very small sins. And doubtless, like all young tempters or demons, you were anxious to be able to report spectacular weaknesses. But do remember, the only thing that matters is the extent to which you separate man from the enemy. It doesn't matter how small the sins are, provided that their cumulative effect, in other words, the adding on effect, little bit by little bit, um, is able to edge the man away from the light and out into nothing. Murder is no better than cards if cards do the trick. Indeed, the safest road to hell is a gradual one. The gentle slope, the soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. The gentle walk to hell. The thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Now I'll go back to the question, is jealousy really that bad? Is a little bit of anger really that bad? Is a little bit of fear really that bad? You know, this is how the enemy um, works to take us a little bit at a time. If he can get you on one thing, if he can get you around one thought, oh, look at that girl's, oh, I just wish I could sing like her. Oh, I suck. My life sucks. And then, you know, he gets you entangled. And then, and then he, he gets you onto something else. And then he gets you onto something else. And then before you know it, it's like this big entangled mess that you can't separate. And being human, I know that feeling of when you go through stuff, you're just like, God, why can't I seem to overcome? Why can't I seem to get out of this pit? Why do I always still struggle with my flesh? I feel like such a hypocrite when I come to church. Can I get a witness? You guys know that sometimes you struggle with stuff and you come to church and you're like, oh, but they don't know what I've done this week or they don't know what I've thought, you know. But, you know, the Bible says that the enemy may come to steal, kill and destroy. He wants to take you. He wants to just, you know, take you all the way, drag you all the way in there. But the Bible says that I, Jesus, have come to give you life and to give you everything that you need. So, I want you guys to just take a moment to have a look. Um, actually, before I do that, I want to share with you some ways to overcome. And I hope um, you've got your notebooks and stuff and, you know, jot these things down. Um, firstly, is to recognize the lie. Whether it's jealousy or whether it's other things, it's to recognize the lie. Recognize that what you have thought it. It doesn't matter whether it comes from you or from the enemy. That, you know, if you spend time trying to work that out, he's already gained ground in your mind. doesn't matter. If it's negative, just get rid of it. And, you know, just recognize that it's a lie. 2 Corinthians 10, 4-5, we tear down every stronghold and take captive of God. And you know what? As you begin to recognize the lie, the enemy is not going to be happy. But what you're doing is you're going, you know what? I'm just going to, I'm freeing myself. It's a lie. I'm not going to think that. I'm not that lonely. It's not, it's not true that they all ignore me. It's not true that I'm not good enough. The second thing, it's no good just going, eh, that's a lie, you know. But the second thing is to recognize, oh, sorry, to replace the lie with truth. To do this, we need to know the truth. And the Bible says in 2 Timothy 1.13, hold on to the pattern of wholesome thinking 
um, wholesome teaching, pardon, you learn from me, a pattern shaped by the faith and love that you have in Christ Jesus. Hold on to the pattern of wholesome thinking, wholesome teaching. And, um, you know, this is one of the things that sometimes we're like, God, yeah, you know, I'm so affected by my emotions and I'm so emo and I'm, you know, and I go through that. You know, literally there are days when I have to be like, Lisa, stop it. Stop thinking that. I have to speak to myself and then I have to take on the truth. This is why I read the Bible. There are times when I don't feel like reading the Bible, when I just feel like going on Instagram and, you know, doing whatever just to kind of like distract myself. But then I'm like, you know what? I really need to read the Bible right now. And then when I read it, the truth fills my mind and then it renews me. It's so empowering. So um, recognizing the lie, replacing the lie with the truth. Now, the other thing is letting the truth renew our minds. Romans 12.2, don't copy the behavior and customs of the world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. See, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you if you believe in God. But then, why do you still struggle with so many things if you're a Christian? You're like, I thought life was meant to be better. But... The moment you give the Holy Spirit residence, you're like, come on, come on inside, into my heart, into the home of my heart. What he begins to do is he begins to change your mind because we still have a lot of things that we're still thinking wrongly and stuff like that. But the Holy Spirit can change your mind with the word of God, okay? So Romans 12, 2 is all about that, letting the truth renew your mind. The third thing is to repent to God, confessing your sin. The, the devil will be like, no, that's just a little sin. Look at this little bottle. It's just a little sin. Oh, go on. It doesn't matter. Just do it. Just do it. It doesn't matter. It's a white lie. Everybody fudges. He makes you feel like that's a really small thing. It doesn't matter. But the enemy will have us think that, um, yeah, just that. The only way you can make sure that mold doesn't grow on stuff is to bring it out into the light. And, um, you know, First John 1, 8 to 9, if we claim that we have no sin, we are, not, we are only fooling ourselves and not living the truth. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and he's just. And this scripture, you know, I know maybe some of you guys are like, yeah, she's the pastor's wife. She's really holy. Um, well, I am, but <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, you know, I still struggle and I still apply this verse to my life. I still go, First John 1, 9, God, if I confess my sins. God, I need you. I'm not beyond you. I really need you. The fourth thing, and I want to credit this to Hamish Abernathy, <laughs> his last words to uh, Katniss Everdeen before she went into the arena. But anyway, there's a big, big story around this, but it's <laughs> remember who your real enemy is. That's what he said to her. So the enemy are not your tributes in the arena. The enemy is actually President Snow. In our case, our enemy is not the person who made us jealous. Our enemy is the father of lies. Okay? But he would have us in a spin, causing us to play the blame game. It's his fault. If he wasn't like this, I wouldn't feel like this. If she didn't do that, if she had given me what I wanted, if she had seen how good I am and given me a chance, I wouldn't be like this. Okay? He would have us play the blame game. But the Bible says in 1 Peter 5.8, be sober, be alert and sober-minded. Um, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Whoa. I hope these are speaking to you guys. Number five is rest. You know, the enemy loves to show you how much you lack. He loves to tell you 
you don't have it. You don't have a body like her. You're not going to get me notice. You don't have the humor like he does. See, everyone laughs at him when he talks. What about you? You just sit by yourself. He shows you how much you lack. But God shows us how much we already have and what he's given to us. You know, um, Philippians 4, um, I can't remember the scripture. I think it's like 9 to 12 or something like that. It talks about, Paul talks about, I've learned to be content in every situation, in lack and in gain. I've learned to be content. Man, have you ever met content people? They're really cool to be around because they're just happy, you know. See, here's the thing. The grass is not greener on the other side. The grass is actually green where you water it. And so every single time the enemy comes in and he goes, yeah, see, just do that, you know. And you're like, no, I'm going to replace that with the truth. And the truth is that I can do everything through Christ who strengthens. Then you water that. You water that truth in your life. The moment when at the, in your fingertips you're like wanting to, wanting to sin. And you're like, no, God, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to replace it with your truth. I'm more than a conqueror in Christ. And you water that. And before you know it, your patch is going to be so green. When we learn to rest, there's no more striving, no more rivalry, no more comparison, no more chasing shadows. Psalm 23 is what I want to close with, and I'm going to get you to watch a multimedia. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. I love the psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right, the right paths, bringing honor to his name. So even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. You know what? The enemy wants to take us into a spin and take us through all these different things and, you know, come on, you know, you don't have enough. Just, you don't have enough. You really don't have enough. Just keep going. Keep striving. Keep, keep chasing after things because he's leading you that way. But rest, when you learn to rest in the Lord, you just go, you know what? God has given me everything in my DNA. If he wanted me to have it, I already have it. If he didn't want me to have it, then maybe he didn't want me to have that in the first place. It doesn't matter whether, you know, someone gets five talents and you only get a half. I'm going to use that half. You know, I'm one of the most untalented people in the world. I don't have any special kind of freak show gifts, you know, to do and like party tricks and stuff like that. And, you know, I'm pretty average. Like I just, you know, just do average things. I get average results. I do average life, you know. But it's okay because I've learned to be content. There are times when I do compare and I want to be like, you know, a standout. But I've learned over the years, and even on a daily basis, just to be content with myself. Resting in the Lord, trusting that the Lord has already given you everything that you need. Let's have a um, watch of this. Excuse me, son. Yeah? What have you got there? Got, got some birds, some wild birds. Really? Yeah. Where'd you get them? Got them in the field over there. There's a field with wild birds. Huh. Well, if you don't mind my asking, what are you going to do with them? I want to play games with them. Games? Yeah, I can play games with wild birds, yeah. What kind of games? Um, sometimes I like to poke a stick in there, you know, and they'll be like going, gah, 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 like that, you know? And then sometimes I like to rattle the cage, and they think it's an earthquake, and they love that. What happens to them after you're done playing games with them? Mm, usually I feed them to my cat. Yeah, my cat likes wild birds. I'll tell you what. 
I am fond of wild birds. You are? Yeah. Let me buy them from you. You want to buy my wild birds? Yeah. Well, they're no good for nothing. They can't do no tricks or nothing. And when you open this gate, they're just going to fly away. How much? You're serious? I'm very serious. Five dollars. All right. Ten dollars. Okay. Twenty dollars. They're wild birds. They're exotic birds. You found them in a field. An exotic field. All right. That's all I got. you looking at the cage. Yeah. What do you got in there? You know what's in there. Mankind. Found them in the garden. The funny thing is they put themselves in that cage. I had nothing to do with it. So what's your plans with them? I'm gonna play games with them. Games? What kind of games? All kinds of games. I'm going to put games into their life that they think is going to bring them so much pleasure that I'm going to turn the world upside down. I'm going to make right seem wrong and wrong seem right. And then? They'll be damned for all eternity. My father and I, we're very fond of mankind. I know. We want them to have access to us. So... I'm going to pay for their freedom. Do you want these humans? Yeah. You know they promised you everything before. They're going to turn their backs on you. Some will, and some won't. You're serious. Oh, I'm very serious. It'll cost you your tears. I know. Your blood. Yeah. It'll cost you your life. I know. You're willing to give your life. I'm willing to give what it takes. You know what? This, the really cool thing about God and this whole journey of overcoming is that you are not overcoming from a place of humanness or, um, or the pit by yourself. The scripture I just read, it says, even when I go through the valley of darkness, there you are with me. And when we overcome, we're already, we're overcoming from a place of victory because exactly what Jesus did on the cross for us. He's already made the way. He's already done the work for us. We just have to respond to him. And you know, the little, the revelation that I got, and I love the Word of God, I love, you know, just thinking about God and thinking about the stuff that He does for us. The revelation that I had at like midnight last night when I was thinking about this. You know, the Bible says that when we surrender and submit to God, you know, we hear this word a lot. If you're a church person, you're like, yeah, 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 submit, surrender. You know, one thing I realized last night about, um, about submitting and submission is that God wants all of our hearts. This is why I believe He takes sin very personally. One, because He hates sin, because it comes from the pit of hell. 
But secondly, because when we sin, we're allowing the enemy to come in and take a little bit of our hearts and a little bit of our hearts so that when we come to God, it really isn't all of our heart anymore because like 2% is in the enemy territory. It's under enemy influence unless we repent. So when God says, submit to me, and the enemy will flee. That's so cool. I've just told you guys throughout the sermon that the enemy wants to prowl around you. But the, there's a scripture that says, if you submit to God, the enemy will flee from you. It's not even you fleeing from the enemy. He's fleeing from you. It's because whenever he goes, okay, come and do this. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. You're like, oh yeah, that's true. Oh yeah. Yeah, I really can't do it. And then you wake up and you're like, no, that's not true. It's a lie. The truth is that God is for me. And you kick that out of the way. And then you've given that territory back to God. And then you can truly say, I've given all of my heart to God. Now, let me say that God is not saying, oh, come and clean yourself up before you come to me. But God is saying, you know what? Come to me with all of your heart. And even if like 64% of your heart, you were so steeped in sin, you can't even tell the right from wrong anymore. But it's okay, because if that 64% of your heart is happy for me to come in and clean that up, then I am more than happy, God says, to, to regain that territory. And I am more than happy for you to come and give yourself wholly to me again. Can you see, can you hear the love of a loving father? It's not because He wants to like puppet us so that we can do His will and do His deeds and carry out His purposes, but it's because He loves us. What father can watch their child go through stuff and not ache in their heart? And if God has already done that, as we saw in the clip, and He watches us go about our deeds and get tangled up, tangled up everywhere, you know what? God is more than capable of cleaning all of that up. Can I have an amen? So, I wanna read this scripture finally to close off. James 4.4 in the message version. He says, you're cheating on God. If all you want is your own way, flirting with the world every chance you get, you end up enemies of God in His way. And do you suppose God doesn't care? And the proverb has it that he is a fiercely jealous lover. Fiercely jealous. That's why he wants all of your heart. And what he gives in love is far better than anything else that you'll find. And if you and me, gosh, guys, I have a past. And I have tried to seek pleasure in places that promised pleasure, but ended up empty-handed. And I know what it's like when I can come into the love of God and I know I can testify that in love, everything that God gives is far better. It's common knowledge that God goes against the willful proud, but He gave, gives grace to the willing humble. And so this is an invitation for you to come, not perfect, but come humble. Come humble. If you think you can sort out your sin on your own, you're wrong. You're lying to yourself. I can't sort out my sin on my own. No pastor, no leader, no, no one can sort out their sin on their own. You need God. So let's come and respond. Let's close our eyes. And I'm gonna get Caleb and the team to sing this over us. And I pray that the Holy Spirit will speak to you.